it's good to see him singing up here, isn't it? Praise God. Dean Hess was a newly ordained pastor in Cleveland, Ohio in the early 1940s until the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in December of 1941. Immediately, Dean left the pastorate and joined the Air Force Aviation Cadet Program, enlisted in World War II, and flew 63 successful bombing missions. After World War II, he was recalled during the Korean War, not so much as an active pilot, but more to train pilots. And during that war, he felt a compelling burden to do something about the thousands of Korean children that were left orphaned because of this war. And so, him and the assistance of Chaplain Russell Blaisdell began to provide food and shelter at the U.S. Air Base. And ultimately, when uh, the communist regime was planning on marching on Seoul, forcing thousands of people to evacuate the city, they came up with an additional plan. They were able to receive approval for 16 C-54 transports to airlift nearly a thousand children to Jeju Island and rescued those kids from the dangers they were facing. The heroic acts of Dean Hess required extraordinary courage and determination. In the same spirit of Dean Hess today, in Revelation chapter 7, we're going to see that God tells us about an equally courageous group of people that God is going to use during the tribulation period to bring millions of people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. These people are called the 144,000 witnesses that we just read about. Now, in, in Revelation chapter 7, there's a little bit of a parenthesis going on here. Remember, last week we looked at Revelation 6. And Revelation chapter 6 is the beginning of the tribulation period. Remember, the scene is in heaven. John is before the throne. The, the, the angels are wondering who's going to be able to loose these seals and open up the scroll. Now, remember, the scroll is God's plan for the end of the world. And as this scroll was opened, judgments were pictured to be poured out on the earth. And then the last scroll, or excuse me, the last seal has yet to be opened. That's seal number seven. And if you notice at the end of chapter six, only the sixth seal is open. And then in chapter eight, where we'll be next week, the seventh seal is open. And when the seventh seal is open... God then unleashes the next set of judgment on the earth that is called the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. It's contained in the seventh seal. But right now, what God is going to do is he's going to put a little parenthesis in this judgment and he's going to tell us that there is going to be a wide-scale evangelistic crusade that takes place during the tribulation where literally an untold millions of people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. And the witnesses are the 144,000 witnesses that we're going to look at today. 
Now let me tell you my message as simply as I can put it to you this morning. And that is this. God always has a faithful witness to rescue souls from pending judgment. Now folks, we can be glad about this this morning. And let me tell you how this chapter breaks down and then I want to talk about this witness. Number one, I want you to see that that in in verses 1 through 3, God is going to stay his judgment. And verses 1 through 3, remember the angels are standing there and the angels are saying, hold back the wind. Do not let the wind hit the sea. Do not let the wind hit the trees. And do not let the, the wind hit the earth. Now these angels are positioned north, south, east, and west. And they are literally holding back the wind of God's judgment. And the reason that the, 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 the judgment is being withheld is because God wanted to seal and protect his witnesses. That's verses 4 through 8. In verses 4 through 8, God is going to put a seal of protection on his witnesses. Watch this. So that they can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ freely and without harm during the tribulation when the Antichrist and all of his minions are threatening their very survival. At the end of the chapter, verses 9 and following, we see that God saves his people. So you see the witnesses on the earth and then your eyes are witnessing the throne room. And what does it say about the throne room? There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior in the tribulation. And now they are standing before God having died. And they are giving testimony. Listen to this. Salvation belongs to our God. That is the story of Revelation chapter 7. Now, the point of my message today is to talk about these 144,000 witnesses, and I want you to follow along with me this morning as I share with you God's message about his faithful witness. Notice, first of all, faithful witnesses are sent by God. Faithful witnesses are sent by God. The Bible says here in verse uh, number, uh, if you will, verse 40 or 4, excuse me, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 140,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then we read that repetitive section where God names all the 12 tribes and says there were 12,000 witnesses from each of those tribes, numbering 144,000. Now you say, preacher, do you really believe this is exactly 144,000? I'm not exactly sure about that. I don't know that it really matters. I think the number 12 here is being used very intentional by John. 12, of course, is the 12 tribes. The word thousands in the Bible is a word that's often used to just describe a multitude. So when he says there's 12 tribes and 12,000 witnesses, it could very well be that it is just a number of witnesses from every tribe. Regardless, it really doesn't matter if it's an exact number or a pictorial number. Here's what we know. We know that during the tribulation period, the church of Jesus Christ is going to be gone. And God is going to bring his judgment upon the earth and he is going to use, watch this, his chosen people, Israel, once again. That's exactly why the witnesses are no longer coming from the church. They are coming from Israel. And so during the tribulation time, these people who have rejected God for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years are now going to come to faith in Christ and they are going to be the witnesses that this people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I say this to you this morning? God always has a faithful witness. And do you know who his witnesses are today? That would be me and that would be you. 
The Bible says in Mark 16 and verse 15, we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and we are to do that today. John chapter number 19, or 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Church, can I remind us this morning, I know that most people sitting here this morning are church people. You're, you're from this church, and you are here listening to the Word of God every single week at this church. Can I tell you, it is our job, not just my job, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single creature. We are to be witnesses. We are to share Jesus with those around us. God has sent us to do that. I heard the story on 9-11-2001 of Al Braca. Al Braca was on the 109th floor of the World Trade Center. He was a, a stockbroker. He was a very well-to-do individual. He was called by his friends and colleagues, preacher, uh, both as a term of endearment and also as a term of mockery. Al's faith was important to him. Al shared Jesus with his co-workers. Al was about 10 or 15 floors above where the, train, or where the plane hit the tower. Immediately his floor began to fill with smoke and flames began to engulf where he was and they knew they were trapped. And the story is told of Al gathering together before he was able to, before all the phone connections, everything went down, they were able to give testimony to the fact that Al Braca gathered people around and began to pray with them and began to share with them the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is evident that some of those people for the first time accepted Jesus Christ right before they were sent into eternity from that trade tower. Now, thank God for Al Braca, right? In his last moment, with his last words, in the last breathing moments that he had, he concerned himself with the people around him. Listen to me very carefully. You may be here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. So can I just say this to you today? I am a witness sent by God to tell you today that Jesus Christ loves you, that Jesus Christ died for you, that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you, and that if you will believe in his name, you can be saved and rescued and have eternal life. And I want you to understand that. And I certainly want you to believe that this morning. Number one, faithful witnesses are sent by God. Number two, faithful witnesses are sealed by God. Look at verse three, if you will. It says, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God. Now, obviously, whatever the seal is, okay, the seal is a method of protection, right? Hold back the judgment, the Bible says, until the servants are sealed. Meaning, when I send the judgment, those who are sealed are going to be protected from the judgment. If you go to Revelation, you don't have to turn there, but write it down in your notes. Revelation 14 and verse 1 says this. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So what is the seal? The seal is the identity of God on the life of the witnesses. Meaning, something, whatever it was, associated him with them. And can I say this to you, friend? You read that Bible right there from cover to cover. 
And this is one reason why I believe above all reasons that the church of Jesus Christ will not be in the tribulation. Watch this. God is always rescuing and protecting his people from destruction, not taking his people through destruction. Somebody better help me up here. I'm talking about Noah had a seal on his life when God destroyed the world with a flood and God rescued Noah. I'm talking about even Lot had a seal on his life when God, y'all ain't hearing me today, when God rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, I'm talking about the firstborn of the Jewish babies had a mark on them when the death angel came through Exodus there in Egypt. I'm talking about Rahab and her family were marked by God when Jericho fell. Folks, listen, God protects his people. Did you know in the book of Genesis, Cain was even marked? In Genesis chapter 4, Cain murdered his brother. Cain was cast out. He was going to be a refuge the rest of his life. He comes to God and says, God, if I go do this, people are going to hunt me down and murder me. You know what, you know what, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God put a bark on Cain so that nobody touched Cain, I got good news for you today. If God would even protect a murderer like Cain, he's going to protect his witnesses in the tribulation. Cain was marked. We are marked. And today I want to tell you, we are marked very specifically by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in John chapter number 6, verse 27, that God the Father has set a seal on his children. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. God has put a seal on us and given us the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 1, and verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, listen, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4, listen to this, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, some of y'all ought to get real happy about this. I am telling you that when you got saved, God marked you. And the way that God marked you was he put the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And it is a mark of ownership. It means that God put his Holy Spirit in you right now. If you're a Christian, you are marked by God. And you want to know how long you're going to be marked by the Holy Spirit? Watch this. Until the day of redemption. The, the mark of the Holy Spirit is a down payment. And it is going to be fully redeemed and received when we all go to heaven. I love this, friend. What I'm telling you is there is no chance, there is no way, there is no possibility that a child of God could ever go to hell and pay for his own sins because the Holy Spirit of the living God is within you, friend. Let the devil roar. Let sin tempt you. Let people mock you. Let the world fall apart around you. The foundation of God is this. The Lord knows who are his. By the way, there were 144,000 in chapter 7. And how many are there in chapter 14? 100? Y'all ain't even listening to me. 144,000. Not 143,999. Not 143,998. I'm talking about there was 144,000 of them when they started in chapter 7. And there was 144,000 of them when they finished in chapter 14. God took care of his people. And friend, if you're saved here today, please, let me just, if I can. 
Ain't nobody can take your salvation away from you. The Bible says you are in the Father's hand. And you are in Christ inside the Father's hand. And no man is able to pluck you out of the Father's hand. My friend, you could swing over hell on a rotten corn stalk, spit the devil in the eye, sing an amazing grace, and you will not go to hell. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You are sealed. You are safe. You are protected. And furthermore, I would say this, that as we go forward and preach the gospel, as we love people and love our community, nothing can stop the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, we are uh, faithful witnesses, our servants of God. Look, if you will, at verse three, look at the end of verse three, till we have sealed, watch this, the servants of our God. Now, I want you to take your Bible, just so you can see this in the text. Go to chapter 14, where we see this group again, and I want to point out two things about them very quickly. The Bible says in chapter 14, uh, specifically in verse three, they sang a new song. Again, we're introduced again to them in verse one, but look down at verse three where it says they sang a new song before the throne, before the four creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except, watch this, the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Watch this. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. The 144,000 witnesses did not take wives. You say, preacher, why did they not take wives, and why did God think it was important to tell us that? Well, how many of you understand, if God told us that, that matters. And I started studying this this week, and I was reminded of what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 29 says. This is what I mean, brothers. This is right in the Bible. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, those who have wives live as though they had none. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the unmarried man is anxious about worldly things, how he may please his wife. At the end of it, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, listen, please, listen very carefully. If you're married, that's a good thing. Somebody better say, man, guys, this would not be a time to sit there and act like you ain't paying attention to your preacher this morning. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, God says, if you're married, don't seek to be unmarried. It's great. But then he says this. If you're not married and you're able to withstand, stay unmarried so that you can serve God in troubled times in an unprecedented way without the need to take care of your family. You say, what's going on in the tribulation period? I like what David Jeremiah said. He said this, the unprecedented terrors and pressures of the tribulation period will make it extremely difficult for a dedicated preacher who is always on the run from antichrist authorities to maintain marriage. So what did these men do? They didn't get married. Why? So that their wives and their children would not suffer. And they went out on their own. You know what that's called, friend? Look up here. Dedication. Completely dedicated to Christ. Then we find about their commitment to ministry. Look at, look at verse 5. It says, or the end of verse 4. It says, for they are virgins. These are the ones, watch this, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. At church, I'm going to tell you, I believe this is what we are missing in our churches today. People who are willing to follow the Lamb of, Jesus, the Lamb of God holy wherever He goes. 
We are so prone to follow God when it works out well for us. We are so prone to be committed to our faith when it is all going very easy. We live in a contractual world. We live in a world that if the contract is right, we'll sign it. Somebody gives us a contract and we look it over and we make our edits and we send it back to the person who gave the contract said, no, I don't like that. I need 65,000, not 62. I'm not going to work 35 hours. I want to work 32. I'm not going to work on Friday. I want to work on Thursday or whatever it is. You've all been there. You've all seen a contract that you didn't like and you sent it back with some, with some alterations and, and say, no, I know you gave me the contract, but I want to send it back and this is what I want. Listen very carefully to what it means to follow Jesus. Everybody listen very carefully. What it means to follow Jesus is this. He gives you a contract and it is blank. You sign it and you let him fill it in. What are you going to tell God what's going to happen? I'll give if you do this. God, I'll start giving. When you line the, you start lining this up right, and then I'm going to give. If you do this, Lord, if, you will, if you'll let it be like this, this, and this, then I'll serve. We are so preference and consumer-driven in the church of Jesus Christ, we don't even make any sense anymore. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people tell me this. I go to church. It checks all the boxes. I've heard that statement more times in Jacksonville, Florida, that if I hear it one more time, I'm going to throw up right in my mouth. I go to a church that checks all my boxes? Can I help y'all with something? This church doesn't even check all my boxes. You can say amen, it's okay. If I have to go to a church and serve God and raise my family in a place just because it checks all my boxes, you're a consumer, not a disciple. And that's the church today. That's the church of America today. If I don't like this church, I'll just go to another one. And it'll check my boxes. And watch this. As soon as one box gets unchecked, I'm going to go find one that checks all the boxes. Quit trying to check boxes. Have you ever thought about this? If a church don't check your boxes, why don't you go and check the box and do something about it? But that's the way people are today. I promise you guys, I don't have any more time to talk about it. I'm running out of time. The American church is the weakest church in the world. You go to China, you go to Africa, you go to Haiti, you go to third world, you go to persecuted church, and they make us look like we are here for Disneyland every Sunday. No commitment to the Lord. May God help us today to be servants of God, not servants of ourselves. Loyal to Him more than our comforts. I like the song said this, I will follow Thee, my Savior, wherever the pathway may go. I'm not looking for an easy path. I'm not looking for a straight course. I'm not looking for a path with no hills. I'm looking for what God wants, and I want to do it with my life. Finally, go back to chapter number 7, and I'm about to wrap this. Watch this. You say, what does it mean when a preacher says, I'm about to wrap this? Nothing. (laughs) But I do want to show you one more thing. 
Number four, the servants are successful for God. What does that mean? That means when they went out on their journey, they did what they were supposed to do, and God used them. Now, now go, if you will, back to chapter 7, and look at verse number 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues. People from all over the world, friend. You know, heaven isn't going to matter what skin color you have right now. Heaven ain't going to matter what language you speak right now. I love looking across this crowd and seeing dotted colors everywhere I look. The church of Jesus Christ is not a white church. It's not a black church. It's not a Hispanic church. It's a church. And it should look like it's community. And if you're in a community where there are white people and black people and Spanish people and Asian people and Filipino people, then your church should look like what's going on around it. When I first came to this church, there were 50 people, almost all of them were over the age of 50, and they were all white, and it's set in the middle of an absolutely 100% African-American community. You know what we did? We got the barbecue lined up, we drove it out into the neighborhood behind us, and started grilling hot dogs and hamburgers, and walking up and down those apartments, and inviting people out for meals, and we started witnessing those people, and the church started to color up a little bit. say, I'm just not sure if I'm comfortable with that. Well, you're going to be uncomfortable in heaven. Go on, he says this. Watch it. They're clothed in white robes. The white robes are a picture of their salvation. Watch this. Isaiah says, your garments are filthy rags before God. You clothed in your own clothes is dirty to God. So what does God do when he saves you? He doesn't just wash your clothes. He changes your clothes. And he robes you in purity. He robes you in his righteousness. And then it says this, and they're waving palm branches. Where else do you see that in the Bible? You see it at the triumphal entry. And what are we waving our palm branches and saying? Hosanna! Salvation! And then look at their testimony, folks. Look at this. It says this, and verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God. What is their testimony, church? Their testimony is salvation only comes from God. Salvation only comes through Jesus. Listen very carefully. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's the message. What's the story in heaven? Salvation is of the Lord. Friend, I didn't save myself. I couldn't save myself. I can't try to save myself. I have no capacity to save myself. Salvation belongs to our God. Now I want to end this by saying this to you, friend. You must be born again. If you are going to be in the multitude of people that end up in heaven one day, please listen very carefully. Your testimony must be this. Salvation belongs to God. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you got baptized when you were an infant. That has nothing to do with this. What matters is this. Salvation belongs to our God. Do you understand that today? Do you know that the only way a person can be saved is by opening up their heart like the front door of their house and welcoming Jesus Christ into their life for salvation? 
You have to believe that there is no other way. There is no other creed. There is no other action. You have to confess with your mouth, as Romans says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and then you'll be saved. And for that, I mean people all the time in this church. We baptize people all the time in this church who prayed some prayer or got baptized when they were a kid, but they're no more saved than my cell phone. And there's young people here in the room, and one of the biggest dangers with young people in the church is very simple. They grow up and they're following what their parents believe, but they never believed it for themselves. And maybe you're just here today, you went to a different church, maybe it's the first time you've ever been in church, it don't matter. Because the fact is, church doesn't have anything to do with it. Jesus saves. And I am telling you this morning that if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in just one moment, I mean like one moment from right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity right there in your seat to open up your heart and to call upon the name of Jesus and let him be your Savior. In just a few moments, we're going to baptize someone. And that baptism is because that person has trusted Jesus as their Savior and they are giving testimony to us that they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. My question is this, have you? Have you? If not, right here, right now, Open up your heart to Jesus and trust Him as your Savior. Let's pray together. Right there before God, ask this question. Do I know for sure? Do I know for sure Jesus Christ is my Savior? Do I know for sure that if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven? Do you know that? I mean, do you know that? I'm not talking about you wish, you hope, you think, you might. I'm talking about right here, right now. Do you know that? If you do not know that, friend, I'm telling you, there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. And there's only one way to Jesus, and that's asking him to be your Lord and Savior. So right here, right now, in your seat, just you and God, right here, right now, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I implore you right here and right now, to ask him to be your savior. You say, how do I do that? Just something like this. It doesn't have to be exactly like this. I can't save you, but asking Jesus will save you. So just in your heart or out loud, right now, just pray these words. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. Pray that right there in your heart right now. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and he rose again. And today I believe he is the only Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it and you're glad you did, I want to say welcome to the family of God. So glad you're here. And we want to be a blessing to you. So who here would say, preacher, man, I just now, for the first time, just now, prayed that prayer, I meant it, and I'm glad that I did. Preacher, I just want you to know that I prayed that prayer. If that's you, just let me know who you are by slipping up your hand. Would you do that? Just slip that hand right up. God bless you. Who else? Just slip your hand right up. 
Preacher, I just prayed that prayer, Bennett. I'm glad that I did just now. I prayed it. I just accepted Christ as my Savior, and I'm so glad that I did. May God bless you. May we all take his word to heart. Let's go to prayer if we could. God, thank you for this word. I pray you'll bless the receiving, the processing, the faith in this word to follow you. Thank you for what's to come in this service. Thank you for the baptism. Thank you for Maddie. Thank you for her following Jesus. Today I pray we'll receive this testimony with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.